0: and a little bit behind going from my view we're going to start a series this morning that's going to take us through this term looking at the kingdom of God if there's one thing as a PCC we agreed it was actually at the heart of what we are and the heart of what the church is about is about the kingdom of God we're going to look at it in a few different ways not necessarily in a straight way and I'll start this morning uh, in Genesis and I wonder as you sit here this morning what you think the dominant things are that genuinely shape your life. What do you think actually shapes your life this morning? Well? If, uh, and sometimes I'm a little bit rude today with Paul White, but if you're trained as a lawyer, for example, you've led to believe that arguing and persuasion is what shapes people's lives. But most of us know that arguing and persuasion. Doesn't do it. At all. I was trained as an accountant. Thus, as, as um, those who are trained as accountants or trained as engineers or those things, you can really be to you know, if any people have the right information, if only I've got the right facts in front of you, then you'll get it. Then you'll be able to shape your life, you'll be able to, to, to make sense of your life if you get the right information. i tried a little bit of that with a PCC this week an interesting response, putting lots of stuff out there, and saying, well, will that shape anything? If you speak to marketeers, they will say that actually what really shapes us is our desires, our lusts, our things that drive us, even inside. they're the things that shape our choices, they shape what we want, what we don't want, and how we live our lives. But desire, lust, fear, or pleasure don't do it all for us. And we realize that there's more to it than all that. But one of the things that we do realize, I think many of us, is the stories that we will tell have an ability to shape our lives in a way and influence our lives and our thinking in a way sometimes way beyond what would be facts or what would be argument or even what that is as the desires are last within us. If that's good or for just take an example. Hitler. Most of you know the story of Hitler, you will know the story of Hitler. Hitler couldn't reconcile himself with the fact that Germany lost the First World War unless they were stabbed in the back by a, a conspiracy of Jewish industrialists and bankers. So Hitler borrowed from the pseudoscience of the day about racial classifications and superiority. And he told a story that was compelling to a huge number of Germans. The story was that the Aryan race was superior to other racial classifications, and actually answered the world's problems that Jews should be eliminated from all German life and ultimately from the world. As Hitler told the story, he talked about his role as the messianic leader. His vision and his inspiration would inspire Germany to conquer. That story told again, and again, and again, and again, with great passion, ultimately it's responsible for the loss of 60 million lives. Most of us know, particularly, and I'm not a great literary person. There some basic elements to all the stories. Take Prince You know, you've got a good person. Who faces a huge challenge in life? They're essentially a good person. They face a good challenge in life. And they find themselves in danger. They find themselves in difficulty. And what they need is a rescuer, someone to come and rescue them from the difficulty they face. The rescuer intervenes, and they all live happily ever after. Jesus told a story in which, if you believe it, and if you centre your life in it, it will radically change your life forever. It's a story you told over a hundred times in the Gospel of Kings. It's a story of the kingdom of God. Mark 1, 14, 15, says this. After John, it's this. And Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come Said The kingdom of God has come in. Repent and believe the good news. Now, when Jesus announced the kingdom of God they come, that literally it was the end of his hand. The Jewish people who had heard that in the first century did say, What is all this stuff about people? And I know they're thinking the kingdom of God. When they heard this, they thought they knew what this all meant. That God was coming as a long awaited, long waiting for, long anticipated rescuer to his people. But they were waiting for rescue to deliver him, deliver them, sorry, from all the oppression that they were facing. Jesus said, the rescuer has arrived to break evil spell and to fill those promises to his people. God, the king, would establish his rule and his reign, his good, kind, will, and men reign in his people. Those been made of you who know your Bible, those of you know Scripture, about know that as it turned out, many of the listeners to Jesus, those who were around Jesus' time, didn't actually understand that actually how that would happen. That it didn't make sense of what Jesus said. Actually, not quite mad with Jesus, so mad with Jesus, so angry with Jesus, but they ultimately crucified him. But the story of the kingdom of God is an old story. The story that shapes the whole of Scripture. It goes back all the way to the beginning, and that's where we're starting this morning in Genesis. So, first of all, I want to ask the first question this morning. Where do we come from? The Bible begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are some of the most important words ever written. God created the heavens and the earth. There seven words in the original Hebrew. The first subject of the Bible is God. God created the heavens, and you know, God is the main subject of the Bible. You find God at the beginning of the Bible, you find God throughout the Bible, and you find God at the end of the Bible. God is there throughout history, throughout biblical history, throughout the whole of history. He is the main subject. After people's prayers, blessing people, bringing justice for those who and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the reminds us, right at the beginning of the Bible, that God is the theme of all life. God is the start of all good thinking. He's the lens with which we look through all our lives, in which everything from the sense that makes sense ultimately in the universe by its beginning in God, our marriages, our children. Your politics is fine, your suffering your you doing, your losses you lose people and families, your successes, your failures, your job, your leisure. Everything finds meaning as it's related to God, the good creator and kind ruler of all things. So this morning is a simple question. Is God and his rule? the theme of your life. Is God the theme and rule of your life? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means that God created everything out of nothing. Theologians use the phrase creation ex nihilo. Creation as nothing. The Bible teaches that all, all things exist by the creation of a distinct, separate, triune God. This is hard for us to wrap our heads around. When the idea of creation out of nothing is really, really difficult. Because basically anything we create, we create out of stuff. If you're an artist, you need paint, you need a brush, you need a needle. You don't create out of nothing. Well at the beginning of scripture says this. Everything was created by God. God created out of nothing. What does this mean for you and me this morning? It means that because God created everything out of nothing, all our lives, all our we have is unknown to us from God. If not, everything is not our possession. It's a free act of a loving God towards us. Everything we have comes from God's hand. And it's unknown to us. It's unknown to us. So let me ask you to this one. Well. How many of us genuinely live with that idea that our life and our stuff and our successes, our jobs, all we have, is a leg for us to go as a gift? Or actually, is it our possession? It's difficult to realize because as we believe, and you go through something and we have something that's really precious for us, we lose a great job or like as if i am in some of the friends, they lose Peter on this earth. The loss of these things that is real causes the heart to ache. And that's real. Loss is real and, and actually makes a difference. It's painful. But the raw age to our the for Christians, is being able to say, even in those places of deep pain and loss, God, my creator, My good king, thank you for that. Thank you for my father. Thank you for the health I've enjoyed so long and life. Thank you, God, I'm king. Thank you for the precious gifts that you give me that are lensing life. Where do we come from? We come from the very hand of our creator God. The second question. Who are we this morning? This is an question, Who are we? Famously, I was talking about Germany a bit this morning, but there's a famous German uh, philosopher called Arthur Schopenhauer. Sorry, Arthur Schopenhauer. And he was like many philosophers. Uh, sorry, I apologize to the philosophers in the room this morning, but generally they're gloomy, and they were, as I said, about time being very introspective. And he's one he ran in Germany, and as he consumed his own thoughts something, he bumped into someone. And as he bumped into someone, that person said to him in Germany, who do you think you are? And for Shot and it became like a philosophical question, who do you think you are? And that sent him, he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And it sent him into a greater style of wrestling with who he is. The question there hangs for every one of us. Who am I? Who do you think you are this one? It's one of the most fundamental questions that we can all answer. So many of us, and I know differences and the temptation we face, we place our identity on all the other things in life that we have. Really superficial things. The clothes we wear, the cars we drive, all the stuff of life. Increasingly, I saw um, a survey recently that showed that 40% of young girls, teenage girls, said they would accept and take plastic surgery. We have an extraordinary attitude to what's important and to what our identities are built on. Some of us uh, who were here yesterday can find our meaning in some large spaces. seats. We can dress up in Jane Austen type stuff. And we found ourselves in Bath in 2018, doing extraordinary things. That identity is based on something that happened years ago, we dress up and do that. We fanatical about a rugby, we dress up, but we celebrate. It. It's completely unknown to me, but similarly for America so the American of TV, some of the conventions around things like Star Trek. We want to identify ourselves as stuff. They're not going not, to say that themselves, but is that the heart of our identity? Who are you? Who are It's The most basic question. What does it mean to be a human being? Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28, as Jenny Brett says this, I think God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and the livestock of wild animals and over all the creatures that people on the land. God, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, increasing number. Fill the earth with a Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. Scripture says that we're made in the image. God. And being made in the image of God fits into the story of the kingdom of God. See, in the ancient world, when the written kings would mark off their territory on the boundaries of their kingdom by putting images or statues of themselves around the territorial borders of their kingdom. The image of the king around an area marked that territory. They that this was a place where that king reigned. So for example, a King comes the city, he would place a statue himself to say, even though that king is not present in the city, this is a, this is a, a city that is under the rule and the reign of that the king. The image of the city represented the rule and the reign of that king. And when God makes human beings in his image, we become his image bearers. He commands us to fill the earth. He sent them to remind all of creation about the God who created them we carry his image into the world. It means that we show creation what God's like. We show creation, the God who it is, who created us, and made us, what the kingly rule and reign of God is all about. Before all the roles you have had, you may think, no, a pastor, or maybe a full-time and dad may to see we divide ourselves to a tie or a business person, a teacher, or a full time mom or you know, a child, or your parents, or whatever it is that you see. Our basic human identity, beyond our roles, is we're image bearers God. We're image bearers of God. We exist exist to represent God's good and kingly rule to his world. (coughs) Whatever we do, that's our identity. So I wonder whether that's how you see your job. you're there to represent, to represent the image of the king, how you see your work, how you see your leisure, how you are at home, wherever it is. You're image man, made in the image of God. Many of us find ourselves in some of our songs we sang, we recognize we all have challenges. And still, this morning, I wonder whether you see yourself that God has placed you here, maybe in this church, to show God's image. God has placed you in a really difficult family situation to bring God's healing presence to the family. You will carry it. You're the person God wants to use. It's not someone else's job. He's called you to bear his image to the situations only you can bring. He's given you the grace to do that. Be made in the image of God. To represent God's true and kindly rule. To bring peace in the relationships that you're part of. So secondly we're referring to God. Thirdly, therefore, what's wrong with the world? What's gone wrong? It may be a great story, you a great challenge. What we find is that something goes wrong with the challenge, the threat, the damns, and the distress, an evil spell, you know, constant to take over and not to the fairy tales. And so it is in the story of human God. In Genesis 3, we deal with this third question. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? If you go back in history, Christ, people recognize and realize there is something wrong with us. Things aren't working the way they should. If God is off, I hear this, if God is good, if God is a good king, a gracious king, a holy king, a kind king, why is there so much suffering? Why are things so wrong in the world? Why do we live in such a tangled mess? Why do some people like have health problems in our society? Why are people consumed with depression and anxiety? Why would those people, tens of thousands of people being killed all the time? Why are marriages breaking down? There is something wrong with the world, with our relationship. There is. And everybody who looks at the world and sees that says, well, this is what I think is wrong with the world. I was going to ask you to turn to your labour. And say what you think for the world. I thought we'd never get to lunch. (laughs) Um, But let me just do a quick, quick, uh, different thoughts around it. Here's what many in the world would say. Plato, philosopher, said that all the world is matter. Matter is evil. Our bodies are evil. We need to escape our bodies and become pure spirits. That's what Plato thought wrong the world. The French, philosopher Rousseau, said that what's wrong with the world is essentially society. We're all, all good. But they so out society corrupts us. By schools, by parents, by engagement with learning, they essentially get corrupted. For Karl Marx, the problem was unjust economic systems. For Freud, it was childhood traumas. For many of the scientists today, but the Wilson of a man's scientists, the problem is all in our genes. Genetic. If you ask people what's wrong with the world, you will hear many answers. But the Bible us it's only taken what's wrong with the world. We human beings who can succumb to the temptation to replace God as king. We replace God as King and one to rule and reign by our God. Here's a serpent in the garden in Genesis five. But God's benefits that when we read from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and not. God, our good and kind creator, creates the world that's beautiful and good that everything then creates us human beings to represent his image to the world of what God's life is human. Respect us throughout the old world. He commands us to go around for the whole world, but we continue to reject God's wrong and God's reign in our lives. Bottom line. What's the bottom line. life? You? you and I think we know better, don't we? Be you, you and I know that we think we know better about how to run it. We know whether our stands are right or not. If we need to go three. Does it mean to be like It means that we make sands? We know what's right and wrong. We don't need God to tell us that. Despite what God stands it's all and me, this church is all about me. My life is all about me. Work should all be about me. I know the way everything should get. I really should want the world to operate around me. All of the things that we say about poverty, there's poverty across the world. In extraordinary levels. The ignorance, the wars, the are all symptoms of a much deeper problem. But human beings, we've rejected God. We've turned our back on God the King and said, Thanks God, but I'm in the way. Let me establish my own kingdom. Let me establish my own rule. That's the way. Well the results of that, or the results of rejecting God and rejecting his kingdoms, we find ourselves constantly confused, constantly filled with shame, constantly anxious and alienated, we can't find peace, it becomes elusive in our lives. We'll feel hopeless in our relationships as we experience the brokenness, as we're separated from God. We're also physically separated from our environment. And loving our environments, and also that death becomes final on this earth. We'll also experience spiritual alienation from God. We don't think God loves us. How would God love me? Going my own way takes me away from God's love. You struggle to connect with God. You struggle to experience his presence. (laughs) And we find ourselves alive. And I said why? Because of the essence of God's kingdom, the essence of the problem, is we reject God and go our way." Also, some good news, some of you are waiting for some good news, I don't you know, I can tell, is this. Remember, with every great story, there's a rescuer who comes on, the damsel in distress. And the kingdom of God is the same story. Jesus comes along and rescue, rescue us, rescues us from all our, from our failures and the faults of going our own way. See, Jesus is the King. The New Testament speaks about Jesus being King hundreds of times, over and over again. The New Testament says that Jesus is the rightful King. Well, we miss it because we think, well, my name is Tim Blakemore and Jesus' name is Jesus Christ. The Christ was the second name. But it's not. Every time the word Christ is used in the New Testament, you substitute the words Messiah, King. Jesus, the Christ, is the anointed King. The ruler descended from the divided line. And he comes into this world to restore God's good and kind rulership and reign. But how do you do that? How did God do that? How did Jesus do that? says this, Jesus is the image of God, our excellence. Proverbs 1.15, so it to the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. So everywhere Jesus goes, it exhibits the good, kingly, and kind rule to the world. Jesus touches people and they're healed. The gospel tells me that he brings sight of life. The laid walked, the, the ashamed or forgiven. Those have never seen the touch and hands. The dead here, the dead berates, and the good news is brought to the core. Everywhere, the messianic king defeats all that's evil, but Jesus is too strong for it. Jesus is the rescuing king for the whole world. Those who choose this morning to bring our lives under Jesus' kingly rule, as to surrender our lives to the Messenger King Jesus. He pours his spirit out afresh on us. He renews the image of God within us that enables us to represent Christ the world. And so we become, we become the bearers, the good bearers of the king. And the Lord brought in each situation we find wherever we get, whatever it is we do. The story of the kingdom of God tells us that God's good and kind will has broken into the world in Jesus Christ. God's perfect, God's perfect image bearer. And now that news, that message is to spread across the whole world. So we take it to be his image bearers into the world. You choose to live under the good and kind and rule of Jesus our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you you know everything about us, what's in our hearts and minds. Thank you that it's your truth that sets us free. Father, we recognize, and I'm close who put my hand out, so I have sometimes a temptation to make ourselves king this morning. On behalf of the church, Father and I repent. I repent where anything of my own kingdom would seek to stop your kingdom coming here today. And for those here this morning who struggle to believe, you're good and a kind king. Would you help us by your spirit to put me first, King of Kings and Lord of God?